Welcome back to Lexi's Lounge, your home for mind, body, business, and marketing. Today is such a special episode because I am chatting with Erin about her husband's story. If you've had asthma or had any adverse reaction to ibuprofen, you need to listen to this episode. So grab your drink of choice and let's dive in. Erin, welcome to Lexi's Lounge. You are such a special guest. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking water. <laughs> oh my gosh, me too. Um, with the little taint of zip fizz that I had from earlier. Oh, in the same okay. Cup. Yeah. I'm really excited for this podcast today because you have such an incredible story and it shows so much strength and how from the worst fucking situation in the world, how you pulled yourself out and have had strength. I mean, obviously you're still in the middle of it because it is raw and it's still fresh. Um, but I'm going to give you the floor and can you tell listeners your story? Yeah. So I met my husband, Mike, um, back in June of 2018. He lived in Manson at the time and, um, we just hit it off. And, uh, six months later he moved over here. He was kind of doing some odds and ends jobs. Um, so he didn't have health insurance. And, um, I remember one morning he came home work from work. Um, and he said that he had like a really bad asthma attack after he took some, um, ibuprofen. And so he just swore it all off. He swore off all over the counter meds, um, just because it freaked him out so bad. And um, then about, I think it was about six months after that, he got the job as a journeyman with uh, the union. And um, he got this, we got really great health insurance. And so he went in and he got tested for seasonal allergies and got this albuterol inhaler and it really helped him manage his symptoms. And uh, he, you know, um, when I went to go pick it up one day, Gosh, I get shaky when my anxiety kicks in talking about it. <laughs> um, I went to go pick it up and the pharmacist told me, hey, you know, uh, Mike had marked that he has an allergy to ibuprofen. And he's like, there's a little bit of ibuprofen in this albuterol inhaler. And I was like, well, that's weird because it helps him tremendously. And so the pharmacist said, well, I'm sure it's fine then. Um, and then the pharmacist told Mike the same thing when he went to go pick it up the next time. And so that led us to believe that he must have reacted to something other than ibuprofen a year prior. Um, and so one morning, it was April 14th, he came home from work early. He had a headache and he plopped down next to me and he's like, well, I just took two ibuprofen. So let's see what happens. And within 10 minutes, he started having an asthma attack. And so when, when that happens, I'm like, okay, let's just give you like some Claritin. Let's give you your inhaler. Let's give you some Benadryl. And my brother who lives with us, Alec, he went and ran to the store because we didn't have any Benadryl and Mike's symptoms were just continuing to progress. And so I was like, okay, let's go to the walk-in. Let's get you a breathing treatment. And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Just give me a minute. It's like, hey, my headache's gone at least. Um, and then, um, <laughs> then uh, Alec comes home. I had to tell Mike, I was like, okay, chew four ibuprofen, like, or uh, Benadryl, and just to get it in your system faster. And, you know, his color, like, it was continuing to progress. And so I was like, okay, we're going to the emergency room. And I got my shoes on and everything. And I come back out and he's in the kitchen and he kind of rounds this corner and his color had changed. And I look at my, my brother, Alec, and I was like, call 911. 
um, because it just progressed to the point where I knew that we needed help like right now. Um, and so Mike sat down on a stool in our entryway and um, Alec knew to call code, thankfully, to get you know everyone here as soon as possible. And um, so Mike's sitting there and he starts to lose his balance. And I kind of grab him by the shoulders and I say, hey babe, look at me, look me in the eye. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't want to die. And I said, babe, I love you. You're not going to die. I just keep breathing. Just keep breathing. And I hear sirens. And so I open the front door and Mike kind of turned his head to look out at the sun. And he looked back at me and he collapsed into my arms um, right as EMTs were getting there. Um, and I laid him on his side and uh, so he wouldn't aspirate. And uh, they just kind of took over from there, giving, giving him epinephrine and oxygen and starting chest compressions. Uh, since he went into cardiac arrest and um, you know more people show up they kind of pull me off to the side and ask what happened and I hear them carry him outside uh, so that they had more room to work on him and I remember going out there and there was 16 people working on him um, and everyone was doing something and it took them about 20 minutes to get his heart going um, and so they took him off to the hospital and um, I followed along in, with one of the battalion chiefs. And um, yeah, when we got to the emergency room, you know, I, I was able to stay calm. I just had, I had to put all my emotions in a little box throughout this whole experience. Um, and when I saw him in the emergency room, he was having myoclonus seizures, which are just kind of little jerky movements. Um, but the nurse was saying, well, we're doing a hypothermic protocol, which is to cool his body, uh, to try to protect his brain. Um, and so she was saying, well, he might be just shivering uh, from that. It could be a reaction to that. Um, but the neurologist came in and he didn't have any um, uh, reflexes. And so I was like, oh, sign of brain damage. I knew that it wasn't good. But you know, you hold on to hope. Um, you know, you just you have to hold on to any little bit of hope that you have. Um, and so once they admitted him to the ICU, I couldn't go up with him. So for 11 days, he was up there by himself. Um, and his family came into town. Um, you know, it was a very chaotic week, a lot of difficult dynamics um, at times. But, you know, within um, a couple days, uh, they got the MRI back from his, showing his brain, and it said uh, catastrophic global ischemic damage, which, I mean, that just, you just know. But they were waiting for one last um, test to come back, and that takes about a week. It's a blood test. Um, it's an NSE test. And Typically, you don't want to have a level higher than 15, and Mike was at 147. And so at that point, that was when I decided to move forward with uh, the organ donation, which is a very complicated process. I had no idea. Um, so for Mike's case, they had to have two neurologists sign off on two separate tests to see whether or not, like, what, what the extent of the brain damage is. And so if he has nothing, then I would say goodbye to him on uh, the ventilator, and then um, they would take him into surgery, but um, that was not the case. So 
that Sunday, we got a call and Mike's blood pressure became unstable during one of the tests. And they said, you guys need to get here right now. We don't know if he'll you know, still be here when you get here. Um, we don't know if we'll get an OR for the organ donation. Um, and so it was just chaos and we just got to the hospital as soon as we could and they took me up right away. Um, and he had stabilized at that point. And so I got to lay in bed with him and listen to our music and, you know, tell him how proud I am of him um, and that I'll be okay and that I promise to live my life in a way to make, that will make him proud. Um, and, you know, so people got to come up and say their goodbyes. And as the time came to take him down to, what they do is they take you from the IC room and uh, put you in a recovery room right next to the OR. So that way you can, they can just get him right into surgery. Um, and so as we were walking down to the recovery room, um, every single staff member in the hallway lined the halls um, in silence to give, um, because they knew Mike was going to give him his life um, to help other people. And it was just, it was very powerful and very surreal. I mean, all of it was very, very surreal. Um, and yeah, so we get to the recovery room, they prepped him, um, and it was just my brother Alec and I there, um, along with the nurse, and the nurse gave Mike um, something to keep him calm, like a pain medication, just in case, just, just in case. And, um, you know, the respiratory therapist, she's like, are you ready? And I was like, no. <laughs> but yeah, because, you know, when I saw him, that wasn't my husband, you know, and I felt bad that he had been laying there for 11 days by himself that I didn't know. Um, and so they took the respirator out and um, it took, you know, his heart picked up a little bit first. And um, I was talking to him again, just running my fingers through his hair and telling him how much I love him. And um, so Mike had this thing, like every time I would like rub my nose or something, he's like, what, do I got a booger or do I got something on my face? And it's like, no, I will tell you if you have a booger. Well, he had a booger. So I asked the nurse if, um, she had something to wipe it away with and she did. And I said, see, babe, I promised you, I would always let you know if you had a booger. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then his color just started to change and then he was gone. Um, wow. Yeah. And uh, it's like when they rolled him away, I, I never thought of my life without him. Like, I, I, they rolled me away with him. Um, I'm a completely different person and I'm trying to rebuild myself as someone that he would be proud of and doing the things that we love to do. So I know he's proud of you. And I know in conversations that you and I have had that you felt like his soul and his spirit left at that last moment when he, he looked you in the eyes after he looked at the sun. And I know it's so, I mean, I can't even imagine what you're going through. I don't have the words to say. I really don't know what to say because I know that nothing I can say will make it better. But I do have a question. Mm -hmm. What's your advice for people who are navigating conversations with widows or people who just lost a child or a parent or talking to people who have experienced 
death, what's the best way to navigate conversations? Because I feel like people a lot of times steer clear because they don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's different for everyone, but people that I know, um, that have lost someone and including myself, it helps to talk about, um, and don't, don't avoid saying Mike's name in casual conversation. Um, because we, that's how they live on. At least that's in my, my opinion. Um, it keeps their memory alive. Um, and we want to talk about it. It helps me process being able to talk about it. Um, and if I can prevent what happened to Mike and I happening to anyone else by getting this information out because it's incredibly common and I don't know why it's not the conversation doctors are having with us but yeah I mean it's it does help to talk about and you know it just kind of let the person steer the conversation if they kind of cut you short then maybe they don't want to talk about it or you know I I don't have a problem saying I can't talk about this right now um, yeah and everybody is respectful of that so so what's your yeah. favorite thing about Mike Oh, uh, gosh, that laugh, that smile. Um, he was just such an energy. Um, yeah, he, and just genuine. Uh, he was the kind of person, you know, he wouldn't go to the bars with his buddies. He would go golfing with his parents. He would go to his niece and nephew's sporting events, like very family oriented, love my family, isn't afraid to give my brothers a hug and say, I love you, man. You know, just, um, yeah. It was just such an energy. So yeah, I and I think you can see that in his pictures too. Yeah, you get every picture I've seen of him. He's just lit up. Like it's one of those genuine smiles, not one of those like you can see it in their eyes. They're not happy to be there. It's like you could tell he was like high on life. And I wish I could have met him. And it really makes me sad because for people listening who don't know, Aaron and I used to be roommates back in what was it, two thousand fifteen to. 15, 16, I think. Yeah, like 15 to 17 ish, like two two years, maybe. Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. So, I mean, the time gets foggy, right? Um, but I remember Erin has, she's kind of a hopeless romantic, I would say. I would call her a hopeless mm -hmm. romantic. She always has the dream of the perfect guy, the perfect family. And she found that in Mike. And so when I saw on Facebook that something had happened with him and then it unfolded about, the story that she had just shared, my heart broke for you because I was like, this is what you've wanted your whole life. And then just one day it gets ripped away from you. And yeah. I, if I could take your pain away, I would. And I know that saying is said over and over again, but I just wish I could at least take a piece of it. You know what I mean? But I think you sharing your story is so therapeutic and so helpful, especially with the public service announcement that you have to share. So I want to have you share that because it could save another life. Yeah. So after doing some research, um, that albuterol inhaler um, that the pharmacist told us had ibuprofen in it come to find out it did not um so that was false information that was a fate it was fatal um so after and then i did my research and between eight and twenty percent of adult asthmatics will develop an allergy to nsaids which is 
ibuprofen, naproxen, aspirin, um, all those types of things. So it's non-steroidal um, anti-inflammatory. So yeah, I mean, that's almost up to one in five people with asthma will develop this allergy. And I've had people reach out to me and they said, oh my gosh, I, I ended up in the emergency room after taking some aspirin earlier this year, you know? So I just, if I can help prevent this happening to anyone else, you know, that I, I, I would, yeah, I have no words. It's, it's just, it's insane. That's not talked about. No, I know. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go around to different clinics and have conversations with these doctors like, okay, Hey, if you have a patient with asthma, please let them know to be careful and to keep an eye out and to take any reaction very, very seriously. Um, because honestly, I don't know what, how things would have progressed had we had an EpiPen or had we called 911 sooner. Um, but I'm so grateful that I didn't get Mike in my car at that moment, you know, cause he would have coded in my car, you know, it's just the trauma. Um, out of it. You know, it's, I definitely, I was diagnosed with PTSD because I flash back to all of those moments and yeah, it's, it's just horrifying that it's not common knowledge. Yeah. Well, I think that you are doing Mike such a service and the gift you got from this whole extremely traumatic experience is the fact that now you can be spearheading the movement of information and education around two extremely common things that coincide with each other that people don't even realize have an effect on each other with asthmatics taking aspirin ibuprofen those kind of things because i would have never known that and the second you told me that i called my mom because she has asthma and i was like do you take ibuprofen and i was kind of freaking out because i'm like well nobody knows that People don't right. know that that's not, there's no education around it. So the fact that you can find this beautiful story out of your experience and take it and save lives with it, that is a gift that keeps on giving. That's the legacy that Mike's leaving. And that's, that's amazing that you're doing that. Yeah. You know, and the other thing I want to mention is one of the ICU doctors said that it's not uncommon to have a mild reaction initially, and then the next time have it be catastrophic. So Mike had been reacting to the ibuprofen. It was just a mild, more mild reaction. It was enough to freak him out. Um, but yeah, it, it's like, why don't we know this? And I'll, I'll give you the links um, to some of the sources that I have um, that I found this information. Yeah, I'll put them in the show um, notes. Awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been a wild, wild ride so far. So and lots of different dynamics, which always makes it makes it interesting. So super fun. So Aaron, tell me, what does for people who don't really understand and who can't really empathize and feel what you're feeling, can you tell listeners what it physically feels like to lose someone you love or just the, what the grieving process is like? Gosh, it's all over the place. Um, and it's personal for everyone. Um, there's no two stories, no two paths. Um, you know, they, I talk, I'm, so I'm in counseling, um, and I'm doing, I'm work, doing some EMDR, which for PTSD, um, and that has helped with 
some of my flashbacks. Um, and my other counselor, she said, you know, this, there's like what they say, there's seven stages of grief. Well, that's not really the case. I mean, I still have an empty toothpaste container in my drawer that Mike used, and I cannot bring myself to throw it away. Um, you know, just it, the, it's such a weird thing. It's physical, you know, I'm constantly shaking, um, which I hate. My brain is all over the place. My memory is fragmented. Um, it's, it's just wild. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm changed forever. I'm a different person. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's horrific. It's devastating, you know, because I'm, I didn't just lose Mike, but I lost our future. You know, we were trying to get pregnant. Um, I lost our future kids. I lost, you know, we had figured everything out down to retirement. I had my job schedule perfectly lined up for, so that we wouldn't need childcare. Like it was, we had it all. And it's just like, now what? what, where do I go? What do I do? You know, and I don't know the answer yet. You know, I'm not back at work yet. Um, I'm going to be going back in December, but I'm just really trying to process this in a way that's healthy, you know, not numbing myself all the time. Um, but you know, but I have to also numb myself sometimes because it hurts too much to feel it all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't alone for the first month. I couldn't, maybe even two months. I didn't leave the house for at least a month. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and then people think, oh, well, it's been four or five months. She must be doing better. Or, you know, they don't want to talk about it, you know, because it, it is, it's heavy and people burn out on it and I get it. I'm burnt out. I don't, <laughs> but I can't escape it. So I just do my best to distract myself and. Yeah, but it's a lot. It's heavy. It's hard. Yeah. I, there's this book I've talked about it a couple of times. It's called How the Body Keeps Score. Have you ever read that? I have not. They're talking, I, I'm going to actually buy it for you and I'm going to ship it to your house. Um, but it is about trauma and how your body stores it. So I think it's really good. The point that you touched on about how you are allowing yourself to feel it for most of the time but also giving mm -hmm. yourself the balance of like, I just need to relax and chill out. Right. Because in the book, he talks about how if you don't feel those emotions, you don't allow yourself to feel them, then you're going to store them in your body and they're going to come out in different ways. So whether that be in your reactions, your coping me me mechanisms, your addictions, your daily habits, you know? So I think what you're doing is so healthy, obviously from a standpoint of somebody who's on the outside, not a psychotherapist or anything but he did talk about um that therapy you're doing that eye rapid descent movement desensitization erdm or whatever yeah emdr, EMDR. Yeah. yes and he was saying that in people who have ptsd and have really really deep and heavy traumas how that for some reason I, this is video. So if you're listening to this, essentially you put your finger out in front of your face, right? And then you put, move it back and forth, correct? And then mm -hmm. for some reason, while you are talking and watching someone's finger move back and forth, it opens up a different part of your brain that helps process things so much easier. So it's interesting that you're doing that and that you said it's helping because 
you know, you read things in a book and you're like, okay, I mean, whatever, but. Well, and it sounds kind of hokey too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I went into it where I was like, okay, really? Like, really? Um, but yeah, it's somehow it files things away in the more of the logical part of your brain, supposedly. And so, you know, you'll be sitting there and you bring up and you really sit in all those feelings, like the heavy, um, and, and you break it down like, um, like moment to moment. So uh, we broke it down from when Mike first took the ibuprofen and then when I was trying to get him to go to the hospital. And then, you know, the last thing, my biggest trigger is the fact that he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't want to die. And that's the last thing that he ever said to me. And so like, we've kept repeating that, especially that moment. Um, and it takes time, but it, it does, it helps process the emotions with the logical part of the brain, I guess. Yeah. And that's been helping it. It feel like when is, when it helps, do you feel like when you think back to that moment in time, it's not like the flood of emotions as like, it's happening right now. You can look at it as more of like a, that's. It's, it's, it's more of a statement like that. As a matter of fact, it did happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the, the emotions of that moment will never go away. Mm -hmm. But just if I don't really dwell on it, then I can talk about it. But like even now, like I get shaky when I talk. Um, just my anxiety, it's, it's crazy. So it doesn't take it all away, but it does. It, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It just like when I'm sitting in that moment and my eyes are watching her finger, I can feel my body kind of start to relax. Like I'll stop shaking. Um, and it's, you know, God, it's still really heavy though. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing for people who have experienced severe trauma. Like you have to maybe look into doing that kind of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recommend it. Um, I mean, and it can be for mild trauma too. Yeah. yeah. Just with the interactions that you may have had with people. Um, so it doesn't have to be this huge event, but I highly recommend it. I highly recommend counseling and all of that. You know, we got to get rid of the stigma. I would like to know from your perspective, what are your thoughts on the term widow? When people say you're a widower or they refer to you as a widow, how does that make you feel? I definitely connect. It's, it's like this exclusive club that you don't want to be part of. Um, because when I hear that someone is a widow or a widower, we just get it. We know that kind of trauma um, and what it's like to lose your person and your future and, you know, all, everything that goes along with it. Um, and I just can instantly have this bond with these people. Um, and it sucks. It sucks. that We're all in this club together, but yeah, it's, you know, I don't, I don't mind the term. I definitely relate to it. And other people that, you know, relate to it as well. You know, we just, we have that unspoken bond. Yeah. Well, and you found a really good friend through this experience. I have. Yeah. So, um, I, got together with a friend um, that I hadn't seen in over a decade. And I was telling her the story of what happened. And she's like, oh my gosh, I have this friend who, whose husband died almost the exact same way, except for two ibuprofen, he got stung by a bee. 
and she found him unresponsive and he went in the hospital for I think over a week and she had to take him off life support. And so all of the steps, you know, uh, are on point. And so we, we just hit it off. We instantly clicked and, you know, we're like, we have to get together. And she's just this amazing, badass woman. Um, she owns her own law firm. She's an um, amazing mother to three beautiful kids. Like she's just, you know, a go-getter, um, super strong, incredible woman. And then, so she added me on Facebook and I went to her husband's page cause you know, as you do Facebook stock. And I saw that he and I have a mutual friend. Well, that mutual friend went to high school with my husband, like 25 years ago almost. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I click. And he actually went to the same high school. So our dead husbands knew each other 25 years ago. Like, and they grew up in Chelan. So it was just so bizarre. If that's not a higher power bringing you together, I would call it God, right? But whatever you believe, if that's not fate, I don't know what is. Cause like, what are the odds? Yeah. Right. You know, I, it's, I don't know. We just like, okay, our husbands are, are messing with us. You know, they they brought us together. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, and I don't know what I, you know, I'm, I, as you know, I'm agnostic as was Mike, but after all of this, through all of this, it's like, I don't know what I believe, but I know that there's something else out there. You know, it's, I don't know that it's heaven or hell. I don't know if it's another dimension, but you know, we know energy can't be destroyed. It has to go somewhere. So where does it go? You know, and I feel his energy still. Yeah. So that must be so yeah. comforting though, knowing that he's with you. Is it? Or yeah, it is. Um, yeah, definitely. Oh gosh. Wow. So we've covered a lot of things like your story, what it physically feels like to lose someone, the term widow, um, the public service announcement about aspirin and asthma. Um, but the biggest thing I want to know is what you want people to take away from your story. Just how common this allergy is and to really make sure that you take, if you have a reaction to anything, whether it's a bee sting or food or any kind of medication, take it very seriously. You know, Mike's allergy, it started off as just a normal asthma attack and he was okay until he really wasn't. And it just happened instantly, um, like a light switch and it was too late. Um, so please just, you know, tell everyone, you know, be very careful about any reaction and just instant, like call 911 if you don't have an EpiPen. And that's another thing that makes me angry. It's like, why are EpiPens so expensive? Right, right. I fear for the day that if Eli or Noah gets stung by a bee and they have like a deadly reaction, right? You don't know. You never know. And the fact that they're not uh, as accessible, oh my gosh, that could be a whole other Right. And you know, my friend's husband who got stung by the bee, he had been stung before and he didn't have a reaction. And, but this one time he did. So you just never know. Gosh. All right. I have one last question for you. Okay. If you could say one thing to Mike, one last thing to him, what would you say? 
Ooh, that's a good one. Um, gosh, I gotta think on that. Um, I feel like there's so many things. <laughs> I know. Just that I love, I love you so much, and I'm so proud of you. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, I hope so. Well, I thank you so much for getting on here and sharing your story. It's not easy, obviously, and there's such healing and grief goes in waves. You know, some days I'm sure you feel amazing and other days I'm sure you're like, I feel like I'm rotting in the pit of hell right now. Oh, I mean, that can happen breath by breath, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I was walking by the light bulb aisle at Fred Meyer and I remembered this stupid fight that we had over if we get the cool lights or the, the warm light. And I was like, just pick one. And I stormed off. And so I remembered that and I just broke down into tears. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. How grief hits. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so many little memories and moments and like, you don't go to the hardware store every day and look at light bulbs. So that one right. moment, the first time you do it since it's that opens a whole new chapter of memories and floods of emotions. So it, it cannot yeah. be easy, but the fact that you are sharing your story and bringing awareness to something that's extremely common and just kind of allowing listeners to better understand and navigate conversations with people who have dealt with extremely massive trauma. I think that what you're doing is a great thing. And honestly, I can see you years down the road from now, like doing speaking gigs and events and everything, just going over this because this didn't happen to you as a coincidence. Nothing is a coincidence. The fact that you are taking such a negative and turning it into a positive and helping other people, I applaud you. And I'm extremely proud to know you. And I just love you. I love you too. Yeah. And I appreciate you having patience with my, my fragmented mind. I'm kind of easily distracted. You don't seem fragmented. <laughs> I mean, like at all. <laughs> I, feel like, oh, good. <laughs> I feel like you, you're doing so good. So anyway, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah. I'm on Instagram. It's EE Hackenmiller. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, Erin, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing your continued growth. Thank you so much for joining us in the lounge. Don't forget to subscribe, show some love in the reviews and connect with us on social. Thanks for hanging in there for this episode. I know it was heavy and there was a lot of trauma involved, but these conversations are what's going to heal the world. You never know what someone else is going through. So this is your reminder to be kind and be compassionate to people, especially if they're different from you. We'll see you next week.